Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm here with Lori, and we're going to talk about taking every thought captive, and then we're going to talk a little bit about strategic planning and how bringing in God's voice into your strategic plan will make all the difference. So Lori, I'm really glad that you're here. Would you uh, introduce yourself as if you were talking to a group of executive directors of pregnancy clinics? Sure. Uh, I am so glad to get to be with you today. My name is Lori DeVillies. I am the founder and executive director of Trotter House. We're located in West Campus at the University of Texas in Austin. And I am just so glad to get to be with you and just among peers uh, and share what I've learned, and I love learning what y'all have learned. So it's great to be with you. Awesome. And and so today, we're going to take one of your ideas, Lori, and we're going to expand on it and just sort of reflect and consider it um, somewhat in depth, hopefully. Um, so oh. the idea was, uh, this is one of the ideas I think you've shared at, at conferences, along with possibly in your book, or probably, but I'm pretty sure both, um, where you essentially the idea of taking every thought captive and how you uh, will you talk about that idea of taking every thought captive and sort of how you look at it and what you do when you consider that idea? Yeah, I, it, it's a, a process for sure. Um, but I've learned through the years, if I can take a step back in whatever situation it is, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, and just take every thought captive, as the scripture tells us, to the obedience of Christ, uh, Hopefully, by doing that, it helps me to uh, really analyze the situation of whatever's going on and be able to give the correct response <laughs> to that situation, moving more in the spirit versus more in the flesh. Uh, and uh, especially where we are now in this pandemic, and somebody even said the other day, I think we're in uh, COVID fatigue, <laughs> where we're just really tired and ready for some kind of normalcy, right? And so uh, when we're out and about or even in our centers and things happen that we might be on edge and might just give a reaction versus a response in love, which is what we want. We want to be able to respond in love. And hopefully uh, in that taking every thought captive, also um, asking the Lord to help us to see with his eyes and help us to hear with his ears and help us to love with his love so that our response is different than the world's. I don't want to fall into the world pattern. I want to be, as the scripture says, we're to be a peculiar people, right? Not to be as the world, but different. And our clients will see that. Uh, everyone will see that because the people in the world expect us to give a worldly response. And an example, I just think about not too long ago, I was at a store and just going to return something. And I got in line. There was a long line of people. And I got in line and the guy says, hey, you're in the wrong line. You're cutting in line. Now, it'd be easy to give a simple argument back. But instead, I took the thought captive because my first initial uh, fleshly response wanted to be, hey, whose business is it of yours where I am? But that's not the response I wanted to give. And as I took that thought captive and I looked at him and the people in line, I said, I am so sorry. I did not mean to cut in line. I am not a line cutter. 
and I am most happy to get wherever I need to get. And it, it relieved everybody in the line, right? So it was uh, a witness basically to the people that there's something different. And then they're drawn to you. And that's what the scripture says. As we lift the name of Jesus high and we take those thoughts captive so that we lift the name of Jesus high, it draws people to us, basically to him, so that we can be a witness of his love. And staying in love, which is where we want to be, especially these days, to because as the darkness gets darker, our light can get brighter, right? It shines brighter. And just by little responses like that, I think about in 2013, when we were uh, in Austin at the Capitol fighting the law to hold abortion facilities to a standard of medical standard, yeah, it was in the news all over the country. Um, if you were for life, you were all blue. If you were for abortion, you were orange. And so we went, we took our people, we went and we were going up to the second floor of the rotunda to sing Amazing Grace, just to uh, influence the atmosphere there at the Capitol in Austin. And before we were going up, I was with a friend and I opened the door to the restroom. I said, hey, I want to stop in the restroom before we go up there. And when I opened the door, there was a long line of people in orange. And my friend said, I'm not going in there. And I'm like, well, I've already opened the door, so I'm going in. And just taking the thoughts captive of now I'm in blue, surrounded by orange. Isn't that what Jesus would do? He would go into the atmosphere he would influence and so as people were throwing different arguments to me i was taking the thoughts captive and bringing them in line with the word of god and praying and as i gave responses people were beginning to see the truth and one by one slowly they all came to understand what i was trying to explain except for one but the rest of them became friendly uh, they wanted to know more about what was happening. So it opened the door for witnessing, which is really important. If we want to impact our world and influence those in our sphere of influence, I think we need to take every thought captive so that we understand where they're coming from and we know what language to speak for them to understand. Wow. So that's that's a beautiful story of how you went into a space, you know, probably 10 plus people in that line. I'm expecting some yeah. time. Right. Um, and, how, and there's enough time for you to actually engage with those people while waiting in line. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, well, they were arguing. Yeah. I can't believe you want to shut down abortion facilities. And I'm like, well, they would say clinics. I don't call them clinics, but I can't yeah. believe you shut down abortion clinics. Well, actually, do you know what? the law says, because really what we're wanting to do is bring these facilities up to medical standard. What are you talking about? These are clinics. Well, these are facilities that have not been required to be up to medical standard. So what am I doing? I am educating them in their arguments. But by doing that, I am taking those thoughts captive so that I'm hearing and I'm targeting my responses for them to understand. And then to give them examples. What are you talking about? You know, well, really, I mean, take the example. If you go for a surgery, which is what many times these procedures are, it's just, if you go for even a medical procedure, you're gonna meet with your doctor, 
He's going to explain the procedure. His, your doctor is going to have uh, admitting privileges to the hospital. Uh, so I'm explaining what typical medical standards are that in turn, these abortion facilities have not been required to be. They're not required to have medical standards. So that's what that law did. And we ended up passing that law. Uh, and we were able to uh, keep most of it intact. There were two parts that um, went to the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court overruled. But outside of that, the whole law without, except for those two points, has stood. And so it makes a difference in bringing, because what happened is with the 49 abortion facilities in Texas, they went down to 12 that could actually operate in the state because of that law, even though two points, I believe it was admitting privileges, and I'm not sure what the other one is, but I could get it for you. Um, the Supreme Court overruled, but everything else stood. Wow. So as an executive director, what is a common thought that might come into your clinic that you might have to take captive in order to um, to have a healthy, you know, essentially, a, a, you know, what, what's a regular thought that a pregnancy clinic director might have to um, be faced with? I think one of them that I know with our volunteers, many times we have to take thoughts captive is and I was sharing this with a group last week, when a client comes in and she's considering abortion, whether she tells us or not, most of the time, if they're really strongly abortion-minded, they will tell us. So what happens, the thought is we have to change our mind, right? The thought is we've got to save that baby. And it becomes so strong that many times our volunteers take on the responsibility. If she goes ahead and chooses the abortion, which we don't want her to do, we're gonna do everything we can to bond with her, to offer all the resources she needs so that she will choose life and have the baby. But if she goes ahead, because we have to remember when she leaves our center, she goes back into her sphere of influence. And so even though we're offering all this, she still has that pressure of whoever in her world is pressuring her to have the abortion. But the thought that we have to take captive is the responsibility many times we take on ourselves. That if we lose that baby, how grieved and depressed and I've seen people become, which it is grief, grievous and we don't want it to happen. But at the same time, I think that's the other part of that scripture when we have to cast the care. We can't carry the care of that decision. And so taking the thought captive that we've done everything that we could to help her and to save the baby. And at the end of the day, she's in the hands of God. We pray, we leave it in his hands. And, and that's a big one for taking, uh, taking our thoughts captive on knowing that God's gonna honor us by honoring him and offering life, whatever that decision uh, ends up being. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. But that, that does. And it seems like often these these thoughts that are being taken captive are false beliefs or or mm -hmm. arrows of false some false um essentially a lie being shot at us or or somehow that we're being confronted with. Um so what do you do with a 
a thought that's been taken captive, where do you send it? What do you do with it? How do you, you know, what's the next step after um, trying to take ownership or taking it captive? That's a good question, Jacob, because a lot of people uh, have asked that and maybe don't think about it. But when you take the thought captive, I sometimes physically will be will throw it like I will just in the air, even if I have to just take whatever that thought is and cast it right. You want to cast that out. But I think it's real important to replace it with the word that applies to whatever that situation is. And so just like that situation of a client coming in, she's very much considering abortion, whoever's in her world is considering it. We've done everything we can and the thought when, say she comes back and, or she even leaves with me, yeah, I, I still don't know, or I still am gonna keep my appointment or whatever it may be. We have to then take that thought of, it's my responsibility to save this baby and cast it and then replace it with, I cast every care upon him for he cares for me uh, or replace it with a word, with a scripture. It's real important to replace it uh, so that we're standing upon the word of God because he tells us that his word will not return void, that it will accomplish what it's sent out to do. And as we give our clients the word and we trust in the word, He's going to use it for good. He promises that he will. He will take everything and use it for good. Um, good, bad, or ugly, whatever the situation is, and make it good. Um, so we need to stand in the word. And that's what I share with our volunteers. Let's practice memorizing the word every day so that it's in us, so that when we need it, it comes out of us. I think speaking the word is very important. Uh, not just reading it, not just thinking it, but speaking it because it impacts the environment, the atmosphere. When we speak the word, it really makes a difference. We've just recently been having some staff challenges. I don't know if other people have been um, just with all the changes that happened, you know, in the last year and a half coming back and being together and, you know, all kinds of things that can happen. But as we've talked about it, just being able to speak the word to each other. And we've started our focus prayer time again uh, with the staff and with the volunteers. Uh, so every Thursday at noon, we're coming together and we're praying. We have a designated time and we're seeing a difference. This would be our third, fourth week to do it. And as we, some of the things we've been challenged with now are no longer challenges because we've uh, focused it on prayer and God working it out, and he really has. Actually, one of our staff, Deetra, said that the other day. She said, we made it a focus of prayer, and now look, it's not even an issue. Amazing. Yeah, it's, um, it feels like, you know, praying about something before taking action or before even making a plan is so, is so critical when it comes to God paving the way or preparing things um, with things that we don't see happening in order to for that outcome to, you know, for essentially he's making changes as we, as we, we, we cry out to him and ask him. And I think that's such an important step that it's easy to not see the importance of it because it doesn't happen with, you know, in front of our eyes sometimes. Yeah. It's um, so true. You know, when you take that thought captive and then you speak the, the scriptures, it really does change the whole atmosphere. It changes the whole situation. It really can. 
one of the things my uh, pastor says uh, at my church, he says, um, after taking a thought captive, he, he tells that thought to go to the feet of Jesus and to ask for, um, and, to, and to wait there until it's redirected. That's good. I like that. I like that. Yeah. But I think that Man, pairs well with like throwing it. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. Yeah. That's one thing I was sharing with our volunteers. When you take that thought captive, ask yourself, is it going to, as the scripture says, we're to give good report. We're to think on the good, pure things, the good things, the right things, all the things that the scripture says we're to think on. Does it line up with that scripture? Because if it doesn't, it's worth tossing out. If it does, then certainly share it. But line it up with the word before you ever let it out of your mouth. And it makes a big difference. Well, that's really good. So um, um, so going, going beyond this, taking every thought captive, how could we pray right now in this podcast for, uh, maybe we should take some time to pray for the executive directors and pro-life uh, leaders who are listening. Maybe we could just pray for them as they're, being faced with um, a variety of arrows being shot at them and and distractions and attacks and comments and whether it's belittling or hurtful or damaging and these things that are not loving and caring and you know things mm -hmm. that are worth keeping so yes maybe we could would you mind praying for the for the executive directors and pro-life leaders and um in that in that space Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing time that you've placed us in in history. When I think about for such a time as this, oh my, what a time we're in. A time, Lord, that we can seize every opportunity to speak the truth in love, to shine the light in the darkness, to be the light, to be the love that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for every pro-life leader. I pray for every executive director, every board member, every staff, every volunteer, every partner or donor. Lord, everyone who has said, yes, I will step up to the line. I will do my part to make the difference in this world called in the issue of life. I will speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I will seek the Lord on his strategic plan, his strategies for the days and times that we're in. I'll not succumb to the spirit of fear, but for you have told us you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And Lord, we choose to walk in that today. We choose that when we take every thought captive, we line it up with the word of God. And when that does not line up with the word of God, we cast it out. As Jacob said, we cast it at the feet of Jesus and we replace it with the word of God, with the word that is promised to accomplish what it's sent out to do. Lord, may we come together as your body, your body across this great nation. And may we join together to pray for one another, to lift one another up, to march forward, Lord, to look at your strategies as we plan and see the overturn of Roe and know that one day that we will see that happen in our nation and we will be the place that people will turn to for, for seeking uh, help in a time of need. So Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity this day to shine our lights 
And I pray, Lord, that as we do, we bring you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And we thank you, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lori. Amen. I think I think uh, Jesus is going to need a really big trash can to hold all of these negative thoughts. Going to be, going to be yes. coming to his feet. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yes, a really big one. There's a yeah, lot we've of... done that before too, where we just. <laughs> Uh, you know, just whatever it is the enemy's been accusing you of, you write it down and then you throw it. Oh, that's Same good. Thing. Yeah. Trash it in the trash can. File 13. <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> so um, there was, the, there's a Bible verse, Psalms 33, 11, and it, it talks, and this is one that I think you shared with me through probably either your book or somewhere, but somehow I got it from you. Um, ah. And essentially, it, it reads, essentially, it talks about strategic planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the Bible verse that supports strategic planning. And it reads, the counsel, sorry, <clears throat> the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Um, would you reflect on how this verse gives you confidence or courage to make plans for, you know, for your organization and for your team? Yes, if now more than ever, we must have strategies. We must, I mean, we just had an area of uh, director strategy meeting in Austin where we came together and we really talked about looking at where we are in this time in history and what do we need to do to position ourselves. You know, if we see the over and we plan to see the overturn of Roe in the next two years. Texas is reporting over 55,000 abortions reported. Remember, they're usually 50% underreported when they're reported. So when you think about all these people who will be turning to, we're praying for the pregnancy centers for help, what are we doing to be prepared? And that's where the strategies, where that scripture talks about, that the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. And so having a plan together collectively and then in our individual centers is very important, especially now. I learned about strategic planning probably 20 years ago from a man who I had hoped would come on our board, Uh, but he was a strategic planner for Texaco Shell in Houston. He took them to billions of dollars. He was the chief financial officer there with his planning. And he gave me simple uh, measurements. He said, a plan should have measurements, very important. And I asked him, well, what, how do I measure what? And he gave me a simple one. When your phone rings, how many times does it ring? When you put somebody on hold, how long are they on hold? Those are measurements of your uh, ministry, the effectiveness, so that the client knows we're there. We're there for them. We answer. And I've had a lot of clients say, boy, I've called a lot of nonprofits and you're the first one who answered. Or if I couldn't answer, I called them back. You were the first one to call me back. Um, Those are important strategies. But as we're looking at uh, some of our strategies for the day, um, should we offer different services? What needs are coming our way? What is God sending to us? And so looking at, in our strategic plan, do we need to edit it a little bit? Do we need to broaden it? Do we need to fine tune some of it? You know, some I know are looking at a men's ministry, adding that. 
some were looking at um, should we offer pregnancy testing by through blood draw, um, STD testing, um, some of the medical things that the clients may need. A lot of questions that we should be asking. And so had also the other scripture I like with the strategic planning is there's wisdom in many advisors because we need many advisors and using the body and the different expertise to be able to really put together a good strategy for what, what God is calling our individual centers to do and collectively. So I love strategic planning. Um, you know, some have told me, well, God leads our ministry. We just let God lead us, which he does. But I also, when I did a, a, a study on, is it important to plan? I don't want to waste anybody's time. I don't want to waste my time. And all the scriptures, that, and that was one of them that I shared with you, that when we started with, that talk about planning our strategies end in so that you may succeed or so that you may prosper. God wants us to succeed. He wants us to prosper. He wants life to permeate this nation. And he wants us to be part of turning that around to where it is today, to where it will be. I truly believe in honoring him. He keeps his promises and he tells us if we will uh, turn from our sins and we would turn to him, he would forgive us. But then he says he will also heal our land. And I think that's very important. So many pastors and churches right now are praying for revival to come in our, in our land, that we would have a hunger for God, that we would have a hunger for his word and a hunger for prayer and a hunger to be uh, with one another, uh, to link arms, to be the body. Uh, now is a desperate time that we need to do that. It's very, very important. Well, that's really good. So what's an example of something like, like a detail or something relatively smaller that you've prayed about and then you've heard God's voice give you direction on what to do when it comes to trying to figure out the details or the steps of a strategic plan or maybe the direction of a strategic plan? How does your prayer life and listening for God's leading influence that? Yes, I can think when we were um, praying about changing our name, we were Austin Pregnancy Resource Center, and we were praying about changing our name because Pregnancy Resource Center had so much propaganda against it. Now, you know, we're in West Campus at the University of Texas, and um, actually Planned Parenthood had paid people to propaganda against us, you know, just telling students, don't go over there because they're judgmental. Uh, they won't help you. They'll only talk you into saving your baby, you know, having your baby, but, you know, they're not really there for you, that kind of stuff. And it, it was starting to become very controversial uh, to the point that the university was no longer sending students for internships. Uh, they were sending, we could actually offer students credit by having them at our center, but they decided they weren't going to send them because they, they didn't want to get into any issues or controversies or whatever. And we really prayed about it. And it was so clear when we prayed that it, we were to change our name and then praying about, well, what do we call ourselves if we change our name? And of course, this is how it works. You know, you think, you know, right? I thought I knew. I came to our advisory council meeting and I said, oh, I've got the name. Let's call it resting place. And they all looked at me and started laughing. They're like, we're not a funeral home. We're not going to what? resting place no i don't think so 
And then I came up with source. What about we're the source? We know the source. Let's be source. That was not it. But then when I took time to pray, it was so clear. I'm coming down for, you know, one of the last meetings before our banquet. And I wanted to know the name so we could share it at our banquet. And that's when I called out to God, God, we need to know what you want to call us. And it was so clear when I said that house, something house, I'm like house. I wasn't sure. And so I go into the meeting and I get there and I said, so y'all talking about what we should call ourselves. And they said, yes, something house. And it matched. They had no idea. <laughs> that I had gotten that, I had not told them, I was driving to the meeting and I said something house. And then one of the gals that led our advisory council, she said, have you ever heard of Lilius Trotter? And that's T-R-O-T-T-E-R. -T -T -E and I said, no, I, I haven't. She said, she was a famous missionary in the 1800s and you need to look her up. Well, when I looked her up, what was interesting is this is how it was only God there was a paper, and I think it's still on the internet, that compares Lilius Trotter to Margaret Sanger. Now, I would have never, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, dear, are we really off? But we weren't. We were right on because the two women lived at the same, in the same era of time in the 1800s. One left all of her life, her wealth, her career, her everything to answer the call of God to go to a very impoverished area where women were treated very poorly and to be there for women and children. And I mean, to the point that women couldn't even come into a restaurant to eat. They were treated so poorly. They had to eat outside on the sidewalk. Yet Lilias came up with creative strategies in that time to be able to not only bring the women in, she taught them philanthropy and how entrepreneurship so that they could not only come in to eat, they could own the restaurant. And I'm like, okay, I like this woman here. <laughs> and so I read her uh, autobiography and at the end of her autobiography, it says, her, she asked the question, will my legacy live on? And I'm like, really? Only God would have known that. We're talking the 1800s. Nobody would have known that, but God did. And he honored her question and her life by having us choose her name. So I called, we researched and found a great, 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 great nephew who's still alive in England. And we called him to see if we could use the name. And of course he blessed us and you know, sent a clip uh, for our banquet. But that's an example of, well, we try to guess and we try to do. And then when I finally stopped, when that should have been the first thing I did and said, God, what do you want to call our center? He had a perfect plan and we all heard it. That's what's really cool. When, you, when you're all in unity, you know it's God. <laughs> that's amazing. So how did that name impact your relationship with the university, like when it came to the relationship with the campus and with the, the interns and those kind of connections, how did that influence or impact that space? It has really influenced. Matter of fact, we now have internships again. Uh, we had faculty come visit us and approve us uh, for internships and involvement with the students. Um, we haven't had, we, well, with the heartbeat law, we've had a little bit of graffiti, but until then we haven't really had a whole lot of 
real strong challenges like we had before. I mean, they were destroying our property. Uh, they had put dead birds across the front of our center, uh, knocking down signs, things like that. Um, we put cameras up, of course, and we have security and all that. Um, so it's made a big difference. It's opened the door and now we're free flowing with the university again. Wow. So, so yeah, I just love how you're, how you, you went to God, well, eventually went to God on this one yeah, and, uh, eventually. And, and it was such an awesome piece. And then it had roots that were unexpected. I mean, the names you were thinking of before Trotter house sounded good but they didn't have the roots that Trotter brought to it. And, right. and Trotter House just has such a beautiful ring to it. And I think one of the problems with names is that they don't sound good the very first time you hear them, but they grow on, some names will grow on you to the point where you, you can't imagine them not being a good name. But the very first time you hear a brand new name, you have to give it a lot of grace because sometimes it's sort of like, well, I'm not familiar with it yet. But once you become familiar with something and it starts to take on an identity, it can have um, a lot of uh, value to someone mm -hmm. who knows what that identity is. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I, I still like resting place, but I do see the... <laughs> <laughs> that might be for the other side of the spectrum of the, the, of the work. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> I love it.